So this morning, 1 Timothy chapter number 3, um, and this is going to be, I believe, the third sermon on a series entitled Church Still Works. And this morning, though, right now, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at verse number 15. So if you're able to, let's all stand, and uh, we're going to read 1 Timothy chapter number 3, uh, verse number 15. The Bible says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world received up into glory. Let's pray and we're going to jump into what God has for us this morning. Heavenly Father God, again, just thank you so much for being an awesome God and Father to us. And thank you now that we can open up your word and we can look at your message that you've given us. And I do pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you'd open our hearts and ears and Lord, guide us into all truth this morning. I pray that we'd all be sensitive to your leading. And again, just thank you for this opportunity. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. The purpose of the Church Still Works series is to take a topical view of what the Scripture teaches about the New Testament church. Of course, when we started this a couple weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus mentioned to, to Peter where he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And last week we looked at the truth of that Jesus essentially started the church by his own invitation. We, we looked at how Christ went to uh, Andrew, he went to Simon Peter, and he went to these individuals, and he just extended a personal invitation. And what's awesome is that, that, that method still works today. And we also looked at how, again, Jesus is the authority that establishes the church. Now, this morning we're going to look at uh, another, the third message in a message series, looking at the composition of the church, on, on, on how it's composed, what makes a church a church. And again, a local church isn't a building. And again, praise God for the building, but a local church is not a building. Uh, a, a, a local church is not necessarily a location. It's a, it's a habitation of God's people. And that's what really the, this passage in 1 Timothy chapter number 3 is talking about when it says, if I tell you long, that thou mayest... Know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. The house of God is, is essentially the, the household of God. It's like a family. And, and that's, that's, that's what church is. It's, it's people. It's composed of, of individuals that are, that are saved, that are, that are baptized. And we're going we're gonna to deep dive into these thoughts here as we progress in the message. But it's saved, baptized believers that are called out and commissioned to go into the community. Amen? So... If you're accustomed to taking notes, the title is The Composition of the Church. And the first point we're going to look at is that it's composed of called out people. The church is composed of called out people. Now the word most commonly translated church is from our New Testament. And the Greek word is ekklesia, which means a called out assembly. Uh, this word is used over 115 times in the New Testament. And of those, those 115 times, 112 of those times, it refers to a specific local assembly of believers. And that's important to note because there is a, 
a philosophy when it comes to church that there's this universal, you know, the big church. I've heard people use that word sometimes. Oh, you go to church? Well, which one? Or I'm part of the church. Well, which one? Well, the big church. Okay. Well, where's the big pastor? No. Well, you know, where's the big, you know, Lord's Supper? You know, where's the... Anyway, I could joke, but there is a teaching that there's this universal church and... Well, the, the Scripture doesn't teach that. If you look, and, and we talked about it a little bit last week, if you look, I mean, if you turn to Philippians... And you look at Philippians chapter 1, it actually is, is, is to a, a group of believers in the city of Philippi. You know, if you look at, if you look at the uh, book of Acts, you see uh, the New Testament, New Testament and how they went and how they reached communities. It was through different, it was different cities. It was taking the message of Jesus Christ and how that Jesus died and how that Jesus rose again and how that Jesus wanted to save them from their sin and how that Jesus loved them in spite of their sin. And this message was taken to different parts around the known world at the time. And in these different communities, different hubs, folks were saved. Folks started assembling together. And, and thus you have the churches being established. So when we say church, we mean a local called out assembly. Amen. And, and praise God for Shorehaven Baptist Church right here in the middle of the eastern shore and the opportunity that God has given us. And, and again, it's interesting. If you look at church, you know, so where did, you know, how did, how did the word church actually come from? Well, if you, if you look at just the English word church, its origins has an interesting thought as well. So it's actually derived from a Greek word, uh, kirakos, kirakos meaning belonging to the Lord. And then from there, uh, it went to a Scottish uh, word, called Kirk, and from Kirk, we get the word church, amen, and again, it, it refers to a group of people who belong to the Lord, and that's what it's all about, so when we understand this truth, we, we, we view church differently, church is not just another activity that just fills our calendars, and again, I, look, I understand it, sometimes we get busy, and it's like, oh, here we go, but that's, just, that's not church, it's, it's more important than that, I mean, Jesus died for the church, it's not just a place where we can hang out or just have something to do. It's literally, we are literally, by going to church, by coming to church, we're literally aligning ourselves with a, a group of folks who belong to Jesus Christ, who, who come together and worship Him according to the directions that He has set in His Word. And that's exciting, amen? And, and again, it's, it's the same church that Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, meaning not even the gates of hell when church is done and follows the, the Scripture's teaching and proclaims the message of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that's going to stop the impact of the local church in our own lives, in the lives of those around us, in the lives of the entire world. Amen? And that's, that's exciting. We get to be a part of that. We get to, we get to be, a, be privileged to join up and, and to worship and serve together in the church. And just as Jesus personally caught out his disciples in the first century, so we are a called out people. And we're first called out through, if you turn, to, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter number 1, uh, 1 Peter chapter number 1, we get to see that we're called out, and this is an important piece now, we're called out through, number 1, salvation. So if we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 23, that the Bible teaches us, Starting at verse number 23, it says, being born again. And that's huge. I mean, because, and again, verse 23, and we're going to finish that verse. I'm going to give you time to get there. But being born again. Now, what does it mean to be born again? Remember the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus? 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, Nicodemus is like, I mean, think about it. Think about, I, I, I love, I mean, if you, if you just kind of think about the, what's happening in the interaction, it's hilarious because, you know, Nicodemus, again, think about Nicodemus. Has no clue about the rest of the Bible, was a Pharisee. Here he is talking to, you know, Jesus, who they perceive to be a teacher come from God because no man can do the miracles ex except God be with them. And he's asking, Nick, you know, Jesus a question, and Jesus responds and says, you must be born again. So he's like, wait a minute, time out. I've got to be born again. And he's thinking, like, physically. He's like, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time until his mother's womb and be born? Like, what do you mean, be born again? This is crazy talk. What are you talking? I mean, because Nicodemus was, you know, elderly gentleman, uh, was a ruler of the Jews, was a Pharisee, and he never heard that concept. It was like, you speak a foreign language to him, and Jesus had to break it down. He's like... You know, be not, and marvel not that a sinner ye must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that a sinner ye must be born again. And, and, and then he, then John chapter 3 is the same passage where we get John three sixteen. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that was the message that Jesus was trying to convey to Nicodemus. And the same message that is conveyed to us, that to be born again, as First Peter Chapter 1, verse 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we're born again from the truth of the word of God that lives and abides forever. And I mean, and, and praise God for that, man. The, the fact that the word of God is quick, that it's powerful, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces the, the center of the joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I'm, I'm reminded of Isaiah where it talks about that the word that it goes out that will not it will not return void, that it will accomplish the thing run to its sent. And so it's this same message that that for us to be called out, we have got to be born again. The first again, you say, but brother Vaughn, you know, there's 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 this man, 2017 America, it's crazy. I mean, you turn on the news and, and you can you can you know maybe get get caught up in some of the hype and. How people don't want to know God. And if you look at the surveys, you can see that, you know, there's not many people wanting to go to church and there's not many people that, you know, well, again, there's still a majority, but there is an incline of folks that don't know God, who don't know Jesus, who don't go to church. And we may get discouraged and that shouldn't discourage us. That should, man, get us excited about the opportunity that's presented to take this message and to share it with other people. I mean, let's not get discouraged, man. Let's get excited because Jesus still said the gates of hell will not prevail, that he will build his church, that if, if we just proclaim the message, his church will be built. You say, Brother Von, why are you saying that? Well, because if you look in Cor Corinth, this city that we were looking at, it was filled with idolatry. It was filled with paganism. I mean, the depravity of, of Corinth was, I mean, I, I, I don't even want to mention what was going on in Corinth because it had come to a place where sin had just taken over that part of the world. But what's interesting is that as Paul preached the gospel in that city, people trusted Christ as their Savior. Amidst the paganism, amidst the ungodliness, amidst all that stuff, God saved people and established a local church. And it's this, and, and what, so you're saying, well, what's that? why is that important, brother? Because the same can apply today. Yes, there may be sin problems. Yes, there's people that, you know, don't believe God. Yes, there's people that are actually, if you look at it, are actually like blaspheming God just because they want to, like pointing their finger in God's face and saying, you know, do something about it. 
in spite of all this, God can still save folks. This message about being born again from the incorruptible word of God can reach people. It can change people's lives. Amen? And so we see that it doesn't matter the outside culture, the outside sin influence. God's word is still powerful. The message of the gospel can still save. And that's what the scripture teaches, that if our gospel be hid, if we don't share the message, it's hid to those who are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. I mean, it's still possible. It's just we've got to proclaim it. And as, again, we've got to be called out through salvation. So I ask you this morning, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been a moment in your life where it wasn't a religious experience, it wasn't baptism, it wasn't being filled with the Holy Ghost, or speaking in tongues, or doing all this religious thing, religious activity, but has there been a time where you have personally trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because that's important if we're going to be a part of the local church. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, I, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. So you see there, members of the church of Corinth weren't without difficulty, weren't without sin. And if you have any doubt about the church of Corinth, just read the book of First and Second Corinthians, amen? And they had some issues. <laughs> Woo! I mean, if... Uh, I'll just, say, I'll just say that and leave it there, and we'll come back to First and Second Corinthians later. But there, man, that church, when church still works even amidst of dysfunctionality. I'll just say it that way when we're talking about First and Second Corinthians. But again, these struggles, they're just opportunities where we can see God give us victory. Amen? You know, the, the struggles in our own lives are opportunities where God can work and show that He's still on the throne, that He still cares for you, and that He still loves you. And that when he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, he meant it. So a local church is composed of people who've been called out through salvation. But to be members of the, the, the local church, these people identify themselves through baptism. Now in the scripture, we see that water baptism identifies us with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So if you turn to Romans chapter 6 for me this morning. Romans chapter 6. And again, this is a topical study. So we will jump to a, a couple places in the scripture. So Romans chapter 6 this morning, we're going to start at verse number 3. And if you need water, please go get some. And I, I joked about this last week, but I used to sit there, you know, there was a cup of water, you know, and the pastor's drinking it, and I'm like, I'm thirsty now. But there's, there's water back there if you want it. Uh, so if you get thirsty, go right ahead. You're not going to bother me at all if you get up and grab your water. So Romans chapter 6 this morning, verse 3. Again, this thought of identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's, it, a baptism is a picture of this. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, all, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Again, baptism is a reflection on the outside of what has happened on the inside. It does not and cannot wash away our sins, but it does identify us with Christ's payment for our sins. Additionally, water baptism identifies us with the local church. Because you see in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, I'll just read it to you. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. 
And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And again, that portion is at the tail end of the, the day of Pentecost where the disciples were filled with the, with the Holy Ghost and they were preaching the message of Jesus Christ and the miraculous languages were being heard by other people from all over the world. And all these people accepted Christ and they were 2,000. I mean, that would be, whoa, man, talking about, I mean, that'd be, I, just thinking about 2,000 people giving them the Baptist dunk, man. Whoa, you know, that's a good bicep workout. But, uh, I mean, think about it. I wonder if it was all 12 or if it was some of the others. Anyway, one of those questions we'll ask God when we get to heaven. Lord, how in the world did you baptize uh, that many 3,000 souls? Goodness gracious. But, hey, that's an exciting problem to have, amen? But, Baptism identifies us with the local church. So through the centuries, this important ordinance, and again, an ordinance is just a term we give uh, you know, to baptism. It's the ordinance of the church, just like the Lord's Supper is. Uh, but this ordinance has been misunderstood and twisted. Some people believe that baptism washes away original sin. You don't find that. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Uh, and some have even twisted baptism to say that you have to baptize infants, somehow claiming that you know baptizing an infant is, is somehow equivalent to uh, the Old Testament circumcision that, that God gave the, the Jews to identify themselves as the people of God. And, and you don't find that in being practiced in the book of Acts. You don't find that being practiced in the New Testament. You just don't see that. So again, uh, there is a group that sprinkles infants and the whole reason how it came about, just to give you some historical context and understand, well, why in the world did people start baptizing infants if it never really was something that was pushed or preached on in the scriptures? You don't see it. The Council of Carthage declared, we ought not to hinder any person from baptism and the grace of God, especially infants, those newly born. And that's where it came from. It was a council, just people that got together and just said, let's do it. And so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with that is we ought not to follow the traditions of men. We ought to... Follow what God gave us in his word. And what's crazy is even those who left this specific uh, faith, uh, the reformers who left couldn't seem to shake the unbiblical practice of infants. And in fact, many of these reformers mercilessly persecuted Baptists who had long, for, long stood for biblical baptism after salvation. Uh, one of the key leaders of the Reformation uh, that, that's well-known, uh, Z-W-I-N-G-L-I, Zwingli, had many Baptists, including pastors uh, Felix Manez, drowned for their belief in baptism by immersion after salvation. So believer's baptism is, is just one of the many examples of the difference between a New Testament Bible-believing church as, as compared to other faiths and practice who don't take the Bible as the literal Word of God. You say, Brother Von, why'd you get into that? I just wanted to give you some history. Because some people believe that you know, well, Baptists are just Protestants. If you really look at the Baptist history, there's always been, ever since the, the, the New Testament, the disciples' doctrine uh, has always been baptism after salvation. Uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip says to him, do thou believest? And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is. And they, they get out and he baptizes them. I mean, ever since that, you've always had a group of individuals that have held to the foundations of the faith, including the fact that, that baptism is by immersion. I think I saw, I literally saw a, uh, or heard, well, I can't remember if it was me that saw or somebody told me, they said it was a glass painting in a church and it was of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And he, they're literally, the picture has them in the water 
and John the Baptist pouring something on his head. I'm like, oh my goodness. It's like, are you kidding me right now? You say, brother, why are you saying that? Well, because the Lord willing, we'll see some folks saved. Lord willing, we'll see some folks baptized. And here at Shorehaven Baptist Church, we believe that baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there will be uh, immersion, baptism by immersion. And, and it's important because that's membership into the local church. Uh, so this, again, the Scripture clearly teaches that the New Testament church is comprised of people who have been called out through salvation and who have identified themselves with uh, believers' baptism. And additionally, the Scripture teaches that the churches are consistent local assemblies. Again, it's not a universal body. We touched on this. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says this, Then had all the churches rest throughout all Judea, in Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the Holy Ghost, and, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. So you see right here in Acts chapter nine that there were multiple churches in different areas and pockets of the region. Again, real churches were functioning; they were multiplying. Again, it says, uh, "Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied." So again, these the, it wasn't councils, it wasn't denominations, it was just people who took what they knew as far as Jesus Christ's teachings and preachings. And at the time, uh, the first century church, there were different letters to the different epistles, or the epistles or letters to the churches that were being passed around that provided uh, different instructions on how God would have them work and how uh, you know they were to act and behave. And we're going to look at some of that as we approach February and, and looking at Valentine's Day and love, what the Bible says about love. So we'll, we'll, Again, and that's what they were doing, just, man, looking at, at, at what, the, what God was giving them and Again, you see that in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 25 and 27, that husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present himself in himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it, that it should be holy and without blemish. And, it, and, it, and again, if you want to talk about the universal church, well... The only universal church will be assembled when Christ returns for us. Amen. That's what that passage was saying. And we look forward to the day when we'll gather with Jesus Christ as perfect, uh, redeemed, blood-bought, sinners saved by grace. But until then, God has given us the local, visible New Testament church where we get the privilege of working together, uh, labors together with God, and man, just helping each other out, praying for each other, uh, serving with each other, and carrying out Christ's mission, the Great Commission, which is to preach the gospel to every creature while we're here on earth. Amen. And, and that's that does it for today's message on Church Still Works, just looking at what the church is to, comprised of. And I do want to remind us all that we we get the privilege of, of man, working together. Uh, and I, I just want to say it because it's a burden on my heart as I would love to see Shorehaven Baptist Church be assembled with believers that are growing together, real, and loving each other, helping each other, and serving with each other until the Lord calls us home. Amen. But let's pray. We'll be finished for this morning. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your scriptures. And Jesus, I thank you uh, that church still works in 2017. And I do pray Holy Spirit of God, that you'd help us to be excited about the opportunities that you have placed before us. And Lord, that you would uh, just get us excited about the church that you've purchased with your own blood. Again, thank you so much for this morning. 
and for your scriptures and I ask these things in Jesus' name.